The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. I am so excited to welcome Lisa Wilding Brown, CEO of Innovate MR, to the podcast. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for having me, Seema. It's great to be here. I love saying CEO. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm absolutely thrilled. I officially hit two weeks as CEO today. Congratulations. And it's been a, an incredible journey. And I'm really excited for the future. I think it's very bright. That's amazing. So, you know, all of us that know each other, we've been at WireExec, we root each other on and, you know, it's your success is all of our success. We feel, I'm so proud to, that you've gotten this far in your journey, but tell us a little bit about your journey. Oh, that's a great question. It's an ambitious question. I've got probably a lot to cover if you wanted the whole journey, but yeah, no, I've been in the industry for close to 20 years, started out at Harris Interactive, which I'm so grateful for. I feel like that was a really wonderful company to start in market research. And like so many, I didn't intend to go into yeah. market research. I sort of fell into it accidentally and got hooked very early on, but you know, I started off as a project manager and had joined their online research team. And it was sort of presented to me as like, mm -hmm. this is the new exciting methodology of online research. And so there was a caddy team and there was an online team. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is so exciting. I'm part yeah. of this new pioneering, you know, methodology and all of the nuance and opportunity that's that comes with it. So I was really grateful to start there and then moved over to the panel team working on the Harris poll and working very closely with the survey methodology team, doing a lot of research on research. I mean, that was an incredible point of exposure for me too, because I really got my head around a lot of methodological implications. And I think really kind of cut my teeth and learn how to do things the right way. And then I moved on to USAMP in 09. And that was like such a disruptive change for me. I was really comfortable at Harris. You know, we were kind of in the midst of a world global recession. <laughs> so times were really tough. And I just started seeing a lot of my colleagues and friends leaving. And I just felt like, you know what? It might be time for me to take a risk. But I'm the type of person that likes to be in my comfort zone. Like so many people, you know, risk is scary. Change is scary. And so something just got ignited in me. And I just said, let's just go for it. Let's just try something different. And so I went from this large, you know, global, publicly traded, steady, traditional research firm to a tech startup out of LA with a handful of employees. And I often joke with Matt Dusig, who was, you know, is one of our co-founders here at Innovate, but was also a co-founder at USAMP. And I kind of had to be deprogrammed a little bit because I was really applying some big corporate kind of SOPs to a really small 
you know, gritty startup and it just didn't apply. So that was like a really kind of very interesting journey, but I love that I had that experience at a large organization, but then also learn how to navigate the world of a startup and then came to innovate in 2014. Again, in the startup phase, myself and another colleague of mine, Amanda Keller Grill, were the very first two employees of the business. So back then we were running projects and sending invoices and everything in between. So We were doing at hand in a lot of different departments and a lot of different functions. And now we're 150 plus employees and have multiple offices around the world. And so it's just been a really awesome journey to see that growth in the business, something I've invested so much time and energy in. But I think for me, Seema, when I look back at my journey and how did I get to CEO, I give credit to the wonderful friends and colleagues that I've learned, you know, have met through WireExec. And, you know, just kind of chatting about that because that's been just a wonderful tribe of women in the space that are experiencing a lot of the same things that I am in my business. And it's just been a wonderful network. And I was just so inspired when I first met all of you all those years ago. And it really, I think, helped to just invigorate something new in me where I just said, I've got to go out there and, you know, work on my personal brand, the industry. I want them to know who I am. I have a voice and a unique perspective to share. And so I really started to focus on doing little things month by month, year by year to really become more involved in the industry. And I think it really helped to pave the way for this next step as, you know, becoming a leader, I mean, the CEO of this business. So do you think it was, it was the wire exec group, you know, the retreats or whatever that really helped you peel back that layer in you to say, well, if these guys can do it, why can't I do it? Obviously you were doing it because you were part of that group, but it accelerate your desire to do more. Is that what you're saying? It did. It did. Yeah. I think it's important to have really great role models and just people that you can model yourself after. And I think as women, we don't have as many. I totally agree with you. You know, and I, I think about myself as a young girl and growing up and kind of what I saw for myself and what I thought was in my consideration set. And it wasn't CEO. I never, if you had said that to me to sort of 12 year old Lisa, and you're going to be a CEO someday, I would have said, okay, whatever. <laughs> And let me ask you, what did the 12-year-old Lisa see in her future? Oh, that's a great question. Actually, I wrote a blog about kind of my journey and I posted it the day it was my appointment was announced. And I love to write. I find it very like therapeutic. And, you know, I share in that blog just how I think when I was growing up in the late 70s and 80s, you know, it just wasn't in my consideration set that this was something that could actually be realized for myself. I think like every young person, you have insecurities, you have fear of failure. It's uncomfortable to do unfamiliar things that are outside of your kind of wheelhouse that you think you possess. And that continued through adulthood. I think back to my twenties and I was an incredibly insecure person. I think a lot of people are when they're young. I think it's normal. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's normal. normal. And so then I really started to say, I've got to focus on building confidence. And I think the more that you do, the more positive experiences you have, that really helps to reinforce that confidence to go out and share your voice. But yeah, 12 year old Lisa is very different than 40 something Lisa. I don't have the exact number, but she's changed quite a bit. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think also, I don't know if it's women or not women, but as I look at my career, it's always been 
incremental steps. It hasn't been, that's the pinnacle that I want to get to, but it's been, what's the next thing that I can evolve myself into as it relates to both professional and personal? And how do I integrate and balance the two, which is really hard, but it sounds like you went through a similar process. Absolutely. I think it's easy to get tied up on where am I going to be in 10 years, 15 years, but that is just so abstract and so far away. Focus on the now, focus on what you can be doing to build your skill set, get new experiences, gain new levels of expertise. I think we all have to be lifetime students. And I love what's going on in the industry right now, you know, and much of it was accelerated by the pandemic. I mean, our industry is not short for webinars. Yes. <laughs> and virtual conferences and learning opportunities. And I just would encourage everyone, no matter where you're at in your career, like leverage those opportunities. I remember a time where there just wasn't an opportunity to go to conferences. Like you had to either be a salesperson or a C-level executive. And as a project manager or a specialty panel manager, that wasn't offered to me. And I felt like my FOMO was super intense. And I felt like I was really missing out on some awesome opportunities to network and learn new things. And so nowadays that challenge, that limit isn't there. It doesn't exist anymore. Like I've gotten so many emails from people who listen to the podcast to say, I couldn't go to a conference, but thank you so much. I learned so much from listening to it. And I think you're right. There's so much opportunity to just learn. And if you're self-motivated, keep going and learn and connect with people too. Like that kind of exclusivity to content for certain people doesn't exist as much anymore. No, it doesn't. And it's a great thing. I want to encourage everyone to take advantage of it because it's special. I love it. So how does it feel to be CEO? It's kind of surreal in many ways. I mean, it's weird. It's surreal, but yet familiar because I'm not new to innovate. I've been here since day one. And so I've done the jobs of many of the people that are at our organization. And so I think there's a level of empathy that I have that's appreciated by our team here. And I certainly feel very accessible to everyone. You know, we've been a very flat organization by design. We haven't really indoctrinated a, like a, you know, a significant hierarchy or operate in this sort of bureaucratic structure that a lot of larger organizations have, which has been really nice and very collaborative. And I think it definitely keeps our staff happy and feeling like they're having a, they have access and they can make an impact. But as we scale, as we get bigger, we have 150 people now, I think it's great to have a CEO versus multiple co-founders running the business because it just really helps to streamline communication and really position us for taking our business to the next level and really scaling to the next level. So I'm really excited. I feel very confident that I'm going to be successful in this role because I have such a great relationship with our team here. I know the inner workings of our business. I'm very you know, closely tied to many of our clients and pretty active in our industry. So I feel confident. I feel ready for this and really excited for it. And I hope that, you know, seeing another female CEO take the helm inspires young women and young professionals in the space. And they can see, okay, look at that journey and look what steps she took. And I can do that too. Like it's something that's a reality I can reach if that's what I want to do. And I just hope that serves as an example for others. It can be in other people's consideration set now. Yep. So what do you worry about? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think it's just about making sure that we keep our eye on the prize. You know, I've seen in the industry as companies grow, sometimes they can lose sight of that culture that they have and they enjoy when they're a smaller company. It's not hard to have a really awesome culture when you're a 10 person company. 
or 20 person company, because you're also interconnected and dependent on each other. But as companies get bigger, there's this like dynamic that I've observed and I've experienced it firsthand at previous companies where something shifts in the culture. There becomes this us versus them, you know, there's more like silos going on and a lack of communication and a feeling of kind of apathy that can sometimes bubble to the surface. And I'm fiercely, fiercely protective of our incredible culture here. And I want to make sure that we do not lose sight of that and that we continue to reinforce and invest in it. Because to me, that's what is our X factor is our team, our people and making them happy, keeping them happy, keeping them feeling fulfilled and seeing a future with us is mission critical not only for me, but for anyone that's running a business out there, because there is a ton of mobility in the job market right now. hundred percent. In fact, Lila Rayner and I just did a presentation with a few other folks for Wire. Is that the researcher's mindset? Yes. The researcher's mindset. And that recording is available on our YouTube page. And it was interesting that in the results of that study, we fielded the study among market researchers. So It wasn't like a consumer study. It was really focused on people in the insight space. And what we found was that, you know, one out of five people are really, you know, looking to make a move. So there's a lot of mobility that's happening. There's fairly high levels of dissatisfaction. And I think the pandemic has helped to really create this environment where people are probably more open to making a move than they were historically. And so it's very much an employee's market and... You've got to work hard to keep your talents and attract new talents because there's just a lot of change and evolution happening in our space. Yeah. I actually think the need for strong leadership could not be any greater than at this moment because it's all about, you know, there's no walls anymore in terms of an office. There's no, it's literally how do you create a culture that is attractive, that keeps people to your point, excited, motivated, but also understands that there's life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And leadership styles have to change for hundred percent from kind of that command and control to a little bit more collaborative, understanding, empathetic, but at the same time, meet the business. So Lisa, so much change going on, right? I mean, you see companies getting funded, you see non-market research players, you know, lead companies that are in coming into the space, you know, then you have your traditional companies, What do you foresee the future to hold for, you know, this integration of all these different types of companies? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely been a lot of disruption that the industry's experienced. We've seen it a lot in the sample space, right? There's been really heavy adoption around programmatic sampling, API-based sampling, which, you know, really allows for great scale, global growth and efficiency. I think other areas, other sectors within our industry are a bit slower And I know why. The reason why is because change is hard, number one, but also anytime you make a change, it can have an impact on methodology. And, you know, I think we are a risk adverse industry. Researchers by nature are risk adverse and want to do everything we can to make things very replicable and consistent. It's in our nature and it's what we should be doing as researchers. But then at the same time, you have this, you have a lot of different companies coming in that maybe aren't from the research industry, but are playing in our sandbox now, bringing new technology, bringing new methods of work, new ways of recruiting respondents or conducting research. 
And so number one, I love that. I think the more people in our industry, the better, you know, I think there's really an opportunity for us to grow and expand our tentacles and really have significant value for our clients and their stakeholders. So that's to me, very, very exciting in terms of where I see things going. Listen, I don't think that traditional market research is ever going away. There's always going to be a need to ask people questions, but do I think that 25 minute long survey is going to be something that we'll be still doing 10, 15, 20 years down the line, I think that those are going to start to really hopefully (laughs) reduce and that we're going to start to see more of these, call them microburst surveys, shorter, more modular kind of focused surveys that maybe aren't asking as many questions as we've tried to get away with in the past because, you know, participants just aren't going to put up with it. You know, we see it, we've seen it in our sample universe that we all rely on is that you know, there's just so many other fun things to do online besides take surveys. We just have to be real with ourselves and recognize that if we want to play in that space, we have to create experiences that are going to be far more positive than what they are currently. And so I think we are going to see this shift into shorter surveys. And I also think, you know, democratization is a topic and disintermediation, another theme that we're seeing a lot of in our industry. So, you know, when I first started, it was a very predictable, established workflow. The brands are at the top. They're commissioning large-scale market research agencies to conduct their research on their behalf, and then they're working with their suppliers and vendors. Whereas now, I'm starting to really observe a lot more disintermediation where brands are working with smaller companies or companies that have more areas of specialization versus a generalist type business because they're just getting their hands you know, closer to how it's done, how it's made, um, and often leveraging agile tools to facilitate that. And we saw that in the SMR buyer study, we saw that uh, I think it was like 48% of research is now being done internally on the brand side up from, I believe it was 40% in 2020. So we are seeing that shift where brands are getting more hands-on and are working with different providers than they might have traditionally. Yeah, I totally see that. I also see expanded utilization of research within brands. So it's not just consumer insights, it's, you know, product, it's Marcom, and they're using these agile tools to inform quick decisions. Like you said, you know, the big study segmentations, market structure studies aren't going away. We're still going to do those. But, you know, sometimes you think about like the rapid tools that agile research and how quickly it informs people to make decisions when in previous time periods, that data didn't exist. They had to wait six, eight, 12 weeks, or they had to go without. So I think it's a positive thing. It it definitely validates the need for research. It's just a different way of consuming it. Absolutely. I mean, back when I started, research wasn't turned around for less than probably eight to 12 weeks. Yes. Like if we could feel the study and get results back to our client eight weeks, it was like a win. It was like, God, we're good. (laughs) Whereas nowadays, you know, it's all about expedited insights. You know, you could have 24 hours to turn around data and speed is where it's at. And you're exactly right. There's other people in the organization outside of insights that have a real keen interest in data, which I love to see. I think there's just been an overwhelming 
increased appetite for data since the pandemic started. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but like I'm having conversations about statistics with family members and they're asking and they're quoting data that they've read in the times. Like, it's just funny. I feel like stats and data are really becoming more of the mainstream and the average person is appreciating data in a way that I've always appreciated it, but it's funny to see it. It's funny because now you can, you don't have to explain anymore what you do right? To get it like, oh, so you work with that type of data. So that's funny. The other thing is for the pandemic, it's, we're also all personally throwing off a ton of data, just digitally interacting with, you know, so many different sites, places, because we couldn't go anywhere. And I think that's the other exciting part of the pandemic. And that is we're producing tons of digital data that can be analyzed. Yep. There's endless amounts of data. Now, I do think we'll go back to the pendulum. We'll swing back and say, okay, yeah, it's really exciting. We have all this data. What do we do with it now? And I think that will be the next step for our industry to say, it's great to have all this data. How do we process, analyze it, and really make something useful out of it? hundred mm-hmm, percent. You know, it's funny when the pandemic hit, I remember those first few weeks. And I think even on the Wire Slack channel, we were all kind of holding our breath. Yes. You know, we were like, uh-oh, is our... <laughs> What's going to happen here? And I think once we all caught our breath, it was like, okay, our jobs aren't going away. People still need to be informed. And then it became crystal clear that consumer behavior was changing at a drastic rate and there was so much uncertainty. So it really helped to reinforce the need for data. So we all still have jobs, which is great. Yeah, for sure. Well, the the other thing I was going to say is the tracker trends were broken. Mm -hmm. So right? It was like nobody could have predicted it. And so it was a good time to change and try new things as well. Absolutely. I mean, now you can change that tracker and allow for mobile users. You know, I've had a lot of clients that are like, no, that just exclude mobile respondents. I'm not ready to make it mobile friendly. And I'm like, oh my God, it's 2021. (laughs) Well, Lisa, congratulations again on your appointment. I'm so looking forward to seeing you in November and congratulations. Thanks so much, Seema. I really appreciate you having me on the show and I will look forward to seeing you at Wire Exec. Yes, thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended. But your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.